What we're going to talk about today reminds us that I don't need to worry about my problem being too big for God, nor the details of my life being too small a matter for God. We think about things like world hunger and, and this uh, education crisis in Oklahoma, huge things like that, which we need to pray about. Sometimes we might think, well, even God can't really deal with this. On the other hand, and just absolutely conversely, aren't there times when we'll think, you know, this is my problem. God really wouldn't care that much about that. Both of those things are untrue. God cares about the, the intimate details of, of your life. Um, uh, today's story is going to remind us that for God, no matter is too big or too small. We're going to deal with one of those kind of smaller matters today, might seem. That gives us an illustration of that. Now, what we're going to deal with today is part of an extended narrative that details one of, one of Jesus' appearances following his resurrection. The account is recorded only by John, okay? And um, as this passage opens, John has already talked about the events from the day of resurrection. Um, Mary Magdalene found Jesus at the tomb. Uh, finding Jesus' tomb empty is told by an angel, go tell Peter and the other disciples about him. Peter and John come up and, and fear that the body's been taken. They rush to the tomb to see for themselves. Uh, Jesus appears to Mary, confirming that he is indeed raised from the dead. We, we looked at all that in the last week or so, certainly. Later that same day, on the first day of the week, that first Easter Sunday, Jesus appears to his disciples in a locked room. He, he doesn't require a door to get in there. It was locked. He just walks in. And then a week later, this time addressing Thomas, who had been absent the week before. By the way, it pays to show My mom used to say, it pays to show up for church. Thomas was absent Easter Sunday. He's there the next Sunday, and they tell him about what happened the last Sunday. He said, nah, I'm not believing that. Mom used to say, then pays to go to church, so okay. Um, so we've got all this detail in John 20 about post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. By the way, do you know that he didn't appear just once? He didn't appear just these three or four times that we've already talked about, and one more that we're going to talk about today. He appeared, I don't know how many times, John records Three appearances to the disciples and other appearances to others. The other gospel writers talk about other accounts. But what you and I need to remember, especially as we think about what's going on in this story today, is Jesus wasn't just hanging around after the resurrection for a day or two or a week or two. He was on the planet for 40 days after the resurrection. Can you imagine when they got together, can you imagine the Bible studies they had then? When he, and it shows us that he would, he would point to them the scriptures, Old Testament, and say, okay, I've told you guys about this, but you probably understand it a little better now. This was talking about me. This was talking about me. You remember when this happened? That was about me. Okay? Gets them ready for his departure, 40 days. So, today... 
Interestingly, if you read the end of chapter 20, okay, um, he, he does this wonderful encounter with, with Thomas, who has previously said, unless I see, I won't believe. And in John 20, 20, he appears to Thomas, says, here, feel, feel the prints in my hands. Feel the spear uh, uh, print in my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He, he worships him right there. And Jesus says, you believe because you saw. But in verse 29, in chapter 20, he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you and me. And the rest of chapter 20 sounds like the end of the Gospel of John. He did this, he did a lot of other things so that we might believe. I mean, it just sounds like he's closing out. Aren't you glad that John didn't stop at chapter 20? Because chapter 21, we would not be there. And we're going to deal with it today. We're going to start with verse 1. Okay, and it's going to talk about this third visit to the disciples in, uh, in um, uh, chapter 21. John, can I get you to read the first four verses? Would you do that? Okay, this is really intriguing. In fact, I could stop. With, we could deal with verse 1 and take the rest of the time. I won't. I'll, tr I'll try to move on from there. But it, it's just fascinating to me. Look at the detail. Just kind of, kind of scan verse 1 while we're talking about this, okay? Okay. Um, when did this happen? Well, it happened after these things, okay? So the idea is um, it happened afterward, after his... Uh, earlier resurrection appearances that were described in chapter 20. So we don't know when exactly, but we know was, there was some lag time between his appearance to the disciples in Jerusalem, uh, a couple of times at least, and here. We know there was some lag time. We don't know how much, okay? Um, this is the final appearance of Jesus that's recorded in John, but not necessarily his final appearance. We really don't know the chronology of that. We just know it happened afterward. All right. Where were they? Not in Jerusalem is what you need to know. Not in Jerusalem. So other appearances that we read about were in and around Jerusalem. Okay, even uh, in Luke 24, in the appearance to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were leaving Jerusalem, going somewhere. So it was like close to Jerusalem. This was where? Sea of Galilee. What's important about the Sea of Galilee? A lot. A lot. What, what do you think of when you think of the Sea of Galilee? Where Jesus grew up in Galilee, in Nazareth. A lot of the miracles took place there. A lot of his teaching, a lot of his time was spent in Galilee. Okay. Uh, let me give you just uh, three or four things here. At least four of the miracles were done on the Sea of Galilee. He calmed the storm that, on that sea. Uh, there was a 
huge catch of fish that we're going to talk about in a little bit, another huge catch of fish that was recorded back in Luke 5, uh, he walked on the water at the Sea of Galilee. And uh, all important to us in the middle of April, he um, had him go catch a fish that had a coin in it to pay taxes. Now, I asked Rhonda, since it's coming up, I asked her, if you're going fishing, at least find a, find a bass that's got a coin in his mouth. Did she help? No. I still got to find money to pay my taxes, okay? Because you didn't take care of that, okay? Uh, all those things happen where Jesus has gone and where he's going to meet them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, all right? Sounds like it's a fairly important place, but it's not nearby. So the where is in Galilee, 70 miles or so walk from Jerusalem. So the disciples would have taken several days to get there after Peter says, I'm going fishing. Okay. I wonder how long it took Jesus to get there. Do I? He was... He was wherever he wanted to be about as soon as he wanted to get there. I think, Jan, don't you? I mean, he was here and then, and, you know. So I got to thinking about that. Did he walk 70 miles? Maybe not. Maybe he just went, you know. He could do that in this post-resurrection body. We see him doing other things kind of like that. Okay, so uh, this is a pretty important thing. But what, here's what we got to catch. Would somebody go to Mark 14, 28? This is something I could, thank you, Karen. Mark 14, 28, I missed this. I've studied this story for at least 40 years, probably more than that. I've taught it dozens of times, and I've missed this every time. Uh, if you're a teacher or a preacher, don't apologize for, for having to deal with the Christmas story and the Easter story every year. I found new stuff in it this year, so, okay? So, uh, Maybe it's just because I'm slow. But uh, 14, Mark 14, 28, Karen will get that. Would somebody else get Mark 16, 7? Jeff, do you mind get Mark 16, 7? Okay. Okay. I, I miss this. Every time I've looked at this, I've just somehow missed this. Why did he go to Galilee? Well, he knew they would be there. But there's a bigger reason. Um, Karen, read Mark 14, 28. Who said that? It's read in my Bible. Jesus said, this was, by the way, on Last Supper Day, on the first Monday Thursday. Jesus says, okay, after I've risen again, they missed that. Where am I going to go? I'll meet you in Galilee. They missed that too. Um, now, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, I'm going to be right, I'm going to rise again, I'll meet you in Galilee. As if that wasn't enough, on Easter Sunday, okay, in, um, in Mark uh, 16, 7, the angel at the empty tomb says it. Uh, Jeff? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
tells Mary Magdalene, go back and tell the boys. He'll see him in Galilee. Well, of course, he sees him before that, but isn't it interesting? The angel reports it. Jesus has predicted it, and they still kind of miss it, at least in the context of our story for today. So look at verse 2. Who was included on the, this fishing trip? Okay, here we go. Peter, there were seven besides Jesus on this fishing trip. Okay, Peter, he's always kind of the first. Thomas, I think that's interesting. Regardless of when this took place, Thomas, previously a doubter, is now a believer. He's with the other guys on this trip. By the way, it gives the word Didymus. That doesn't mean doubter or doubting. It literally, um, if I understand it right, Thomas is the word in Aramaic. The same word in Greek is Didymus. So it's a, it's a proper name. So Thomas or Didymus, both of them mean the twin. Rhonda asked me this morning, who is Thomas's twin? Don't know. Don't know. But it was just... Thomas, the twin, was there, but that's the guy from chapter 20 who didn't believe, all right? Uh, Nathaniel from Cana, which is, by the way, who knows if that's where he first proclaimed his faith in Christ, because that's where he did his very first miracle. Nathaniel, sometimes called Bartholomew. So those three are there. The Zebedee boys, okay? James and John. Um... What did those guys in Peter see that the other guys never saw? They saw a resurrection of a little girl, just, just James and John and Peter. They saw uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. They saw all kinds of stuff that the other guys didn't get to see. Those guys are there. By the way, they're also in the fishing business. And it's interesting. Wouldn't you love to be in the last group of the guys that are going fishing with Peter after the resurrection and two other disciples? I'm sure that's the list I would be included in. Oh, yeah, he was there too, but he's not important enough to include his name. I, anyway, that, that bothers me as, as a guy who, uh, who deals with these kind of things. So, they're there, all right? Now, Peter says in verse 3, I'm going fishing. A lot of, lot of um, conjecture has been put into why he did this. Was it despair that drove him there? He's seen Jesus. He knows he's alive. Was it despair that drove him there? Was it, um, was it, okay, he has left being a fisher for men and gone back to being a fisher for fish? I don't think the text supports either of those ideas. It may be that he's thinking, okay, the coffers are getting kind of slim. We better go make some money, guys, or we're not going to, I don't know. But Peter says, I'm going fishing. And, um... Uh, I think in some ways it's Peter saying, so I wonder what's next. If you look at Luke 5, 5, and if you want to keep your finger in Luke, we'll go back to there in a little bit. But if you want to look at, at Luke 5, 5, Peter has been in this position before. These guys have been in this position before. And on this lake, when they were, and here's a, here's a really appropriate uh, theological Greek term. When they got skunked. You know what it means to get skunked? Okay. That was my dad's term. I assume that's a universal term. I don't know. They got skunked fishing in that lake before in Luke 5. It, it's probably Greek. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't. 
I, I, I can't give you the, the full you know, etymology of it. It's probably Greek. They got skunked once before. They're getting skunked again in verse 3. See that? Uh, there you go, fishing. Uh, the, these other six say, we're going with you. They went out, got in the boat. That night, they caught nothing. Frustrating. Frustrating. By the way, one of the reasons I'm not a fisherman is because every time I go fishing, that's my story. <laughs> I drowned a lot of worms in my day. That I think show for it. So, okay, that's the deal. Now, look at verse 4. I want to read it again just so you can catch the detail. When the day was now breaking, by the way, I don't know if you were outside at all this morning, the day break, it was beautiful this morning. I saw some rays coming through a cloud that just, I thought, Lord, you've painted a wonderful picture here. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. This is going to be the best thing ever. And they're not ready for it. They don't see it. But a couple of three reasons for that may be. It's, long, it's a long distance away. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is 64 square miles. He could have been, they could have been out in the middle of it at this point. Okay? Long way. Um, he, um, um, second, it was dim light. It was pre-dawn. I see a figure over there. I hear a voice, but I don't know who that is. You know, I, when I think of that, I think of, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. But, uh, okay, the, um, I was starting to get ahead of myself. That has never happened before, right? Uh, a third thing, it might have been that he concealed his identity, a concealing of his identity. Now, I put the reference of Luke 24, 16, because if you remember, he took a long hike with two guys coming out of Jerusalem who were discussing the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and they were saying, they tell us that he's risen from the dead. And Jesus says, you don't say. <laughs> but if you remember that detail in Luke, he says, but he was concealed from them. They were concealed from seeing him. Could that have been that here? I don't know. It might have just been uh, that it was, was hard to see you know, that I was, I was at Sam's yesterday with Rhonda and one of our favorite little Sam's greeters, we're having him check our, our stuff. And he said, he's, I, I was about 10, I was with him and Rhonda was about 10 or 12 feet away. And I said, can you just check that off while she's coming up here? And he said, no, man, I've got glaucoma. <laughs> you don't want glaucoma, evidently, you know. I thought that was great. You don't want to have any glaucoma. Maybe it, you know, maybe the guys, no, they were young. They didn't have glaucoma or glaucoma. They, probably none of that, all right? They didn't need cataract surgery, Sherman. Probably not. So, they don't see him. Would it be horrible for Jesus to be involved in your life and you don't see it? Let me tell you what, I get so caught up in the stuff I'm doing and Jesus shows up for me every day and there are times when, when, I'm, when I'm doing the inventory at the end of the day, you know. Lord, thanks for this, thanks for this, thanks for this. Occasionally I'm brought up short thinking, Lord, you were right there. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't stop and go to my knees right then. 
I just didn't see you. I'm so sorry. Because he's involved in my life a lot every day. If I just had the eyes to see. If I just don't have spiritual glaucoma. By the way, Google that. I'm sure that's a real thing. Uh, it might be. Okay, let's go to the next section. John, I'm going to come back to you if I can. Would you read 5 down through 8? There is a man on shore that they don't know who he is. Okay, so we're just going to call him right now the man. Remember, they don't know who he is. And he asked a question that old fishermen ask young fishermen. Am I right? Catch anything? Knowing the old fisherman knows they haven't caught anything. Okay, so it's not that Jesus was old. It's just, you know, kind of know, know the story. And by the way, I want us to, on the count of three, all say no together, okay? One, two, three, no. All right, what you got to catch here is that this man on the beach says to them, and the question is worded in such a way that it implies the negative answer. The, the man on the beach says, hey, guys. Did you catch anything? And I guarantee you all seven of them said in unison, no, and they're ticked about it. Now, go to Luke 5, and we're going to park there in just a minute. What does he tell them? His instructions are really specific. Would somebody read Luke 5, 4? Hang on to verse 5. Okay, we have that in just a minute. What does he say to them? It's another deal where they fished all night, haven't caught anything. He says, put out to deep water. He's not a fisherman. He's a preacher. He's a rabbi. And he says to these lifelong, their, their parents were fishermen, their dads were fishermen. He says to them, specifically, put out in the deep. Uh, what's the rea what's the result there? Read verse five, Hubert. That was before same place, same lake, but they did it, and they had this wonderful catch of fish. Right? Same thing's going to happen here in John twenty one, and I wonder if they begin to see. What's going on here right about there? His instructions are specific. The, and the result is overwhelming and immediate. You catch this? 
It's not just overwhelming. It's immediate here. Uh, not able to haul it in because of a great number of fish, you know, all that stuff. Okay, so, so, when that happens, it dawns on a couple of the disciples. John, who's writing this, okay, John's reaction was what? <coughs> Buddy, it's the Lord. Don't you love it? You got to see this. It's still dark. Dawn is still approaching. And John looks at Peter and says, Buddy, it's him. It's him. What's Peter's reaction? He wraps his cloak around him so he won't drown and get caught up in his, his outer garment. And pew, he either swims or wades or a combination of both to shore. He wastes no time at all. By the way, John had beat him to the empty tomb. That didn't happen this time. The other disciples stay behind and they're struggling. But Peter's out of there. Okay? Now, the catch in verse 8 was miraculous. Other disciples came in the little boat. By this time, they're only about 100 yards away. Isn't that an interesting detail? They have to drag the fishnet in. It, they can't get, it's too heavy to get in the boat. They have to drag it in sans Peter. So there's six of them dragging, they're, they're kind of dealing with the boat, dragging the net, and they get it on, on uh, shore, even at that. They come on in and it's a struggle. Now, I read a story this week about a young Muslim man who left his home in Central Asia to study at a university in the U.S. As his classes, before his classes even began, he suffered a brain aneurysm that almost took his life. He survived the aneurysm, but he needed several surgeries over the course of the next year. Remember, he's a Muslim who came from over there here to go to school. A friend from his hometown was living in the U.S. and cared for him. A local church heard about his plight and chipped in to help with the staggering medical bills. High school students from the church visited and helped him learn English. The young Muslim could, could have been ignored by Christians. Instead, Christians became Jesus' hands and feet in providing the care he needed. Not all fish are an easy catch. Some of them take longer than others. Rhonda and I watch a show. Uh, she watches a show while I go to sleep, okay? Called uh, Wicked Tuna. Anybody watch Wicked Tuna? One of those boats fought for seven hours? You watch that one? Okay. For set, fought one, they hadn't caught one all season, fought a huge one for seven hours, and it got off the line after seven hours. I can't, I would say, okay, I'm selling the boat tomorrow. <laughs> Some fish are just hard to catch. You might be surprised which ones those are. It may not be a Muslim who's never learned English or heard about Jesus. It may be 
the person who's heard the story over and over and over and over again and have heard it so much that they've almost become inoculated against it. Some fish are harder to catch. Let's read the rest of the story. John, can I prevail on you one more time? To go to a 9, read down through 14. I have a uh, gas grill on my patio. Milton had to help me find it because they're hard to find. It's a natural gas grill. Skip had to help me plumb it because I had, anyway, he's my plumber. So, um, because I don't like to wait for charcoal to get hot enough to cook. Won't do it. Don't have that kind of patience, okay? All right. How long had Jesus been on the beach tending a fire? Fish are already cooked. Uh, well, you know, with him, could be. But I don't, Wayne, what do you think? He is Jesus, you're right. He doesn't need match light from Kingsford, probably. But, okay, you got the deal. They get to shore. He's got breakfast fixed. Now, he, not only, okay, not only fish, but bread. How beautiful is this? It's totally unexpected. You got to ask the question. Don't have an answer for it. Where did he get the fish? He made them. I figure he knows where they are. Remember, he's just proven he knows where they are. Okay? So, the disciples in verse 10, I think, were kind of in shock. And he says to them, Okay, you got a bunch of fish there. Bring me a couple of your fish. I'm sobered by this question. Okay, guys, bring me some of your fish. Do you think in heaven he's going to ask me that? Okay, pal, show me some of your fish. I got a friend that I work with every day. He was raised in Monterey, Mexico. When he gets there, he talks about Spanish being the heaven's language. I think I know what he means because when he gets there, he's probably going to have a million people, a million fish to show Jesus. All speaking heaven's language in, in his words. How many fish have you caught? Bring me a couple of your fish, he says. Now, in verse 11, there's a detail given there. What's the detail? That's kind of interesting. Why would they drop this detail in this story? What's the detail? 153. Wasn't 152? Wasn't 154? Wasn't, oh, 150 or so. By the way, this is an apologetic issue here. When, when later, uh, I heard a guy talk, one of my guys I'm working with this, 
this right now. Talks about a guy that he's trying to lead to Christ. And the guy talks about all these stories are made up. If it's made up, you don't leave a detail like that in there. You don't leave a detail in there that there was a man on the beach. It was the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't just somewhere they were fishing. There's a lot of detail. The most attestable fact in human history is the resurrection of Jesus, including this specific detail. Don't forget, John, who's writing the book, was there. Don't forget, so was Jesus. They counted the fish. Verse 12, you got to catch this. There's no doubting here. The one who has calmed the sea, this sea, controls the fish in it. He's the one hosting breakfast. He's this meal's gracious host. And as he hands them fish and bread, Guys, they've got to go back to John 6. They've seen this before. Remember, he did this with 5,000 people. And then later with 4,000 people with fish and bread. They've seen this before. Now, here's how we'll finish this. This is not an illusion. It is real. It's tangible. It is, catch this, tasteable. He tasted the fish. They tasted the fish. They smelled the fire. They would never forget this. You know, you know that one of our strongest senses in terms of memory is a sense of smell? Don't you know every time they smelled fish on a coal fire, they thought, oh yeah, wasn't that a day? It was smellable, tasteable, and it was transforming. It changed both them and history. And it changed us. In my sanctified mind, and I, believe me, although I say things that are really weird, my mind is really sanctified, I promise. As is my heart. In my sanctified mind, I began to think a lot about this story this week. And I wondered if, fast forward to, if we're at AD 33, 34, 35, somewhere in there, Fast forward to about A.D. 90. John is a young man when this story is happening in John 21. But by A.D. 90, he's an old man. He lived older than any of the other disciples. He is attending the, um, the church in Ephesus, we think, by this time, after his exile on the island of Patmos. Okay. By the way, this is not an illusion. It changed both them and history. I see you wondered what I was saying there. So he's, he's there working with, by the way, Paul's ward, Timothy, who's the pastor of the church, and is the great example of a discipling church in the New Testament. So can you imagine a young man, probably in his 20s, Timothy, who's leading the church, and old man John, who's the disciple who Jesus loved, is sitting on the back row. What if, what if they start a men's ministry and they take all the guys in the church on a fishing trip. My dad used to talk about when he would go to Canada fishing, the guides there would take them to an island. They would cook bacon and fish for lunch. And he said, it's never tasted that good. What if 
On a men's retreat, they went fishing. What if old John, while these men are cooking the fish, what if he came behind him and said, guys, do it this way. I watch him do it this way. Do you remember? It's real. It's not an illusion. Has it changed your life as it has mine? If it's more than an illusion, it will. Have you caught any fish? I'm afraid we're all going to be asked some question like that when we meet Jesus ourselves. And can I tell you, by faith, you will meet him there. 